along with us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Ghost Chronicles International. I'm Ron Kolick, and we are broadcasting live right here from the haunted VZ estate. However, Steve is even in a cooler place, I believe. I don't know if it's cool or not, because it ain't cool here. Joining me from somewhere is the gold standard in ghost hunting, Steve Parsons. Good afternoon. I'm joining you from a balmy 72 degrees uh, on the Isle again, um, the Isle of Anglesey in North Wales. Um, we're, we're holidaying, but I took a break from the holiday to uh, come talk about ghosts. Excellent. Now, it, yeah, it's about 90 here, just to let you know. <laughs> Well, you got to remember it's early, it's mid-evening here. Uh, we're about uh, we're about an hour from sunset, hour and a half from sunset. So, it's later in the evening. Starting. Yeah, the temperature's starting to drop. So, are you expecting at sunset? You're on. The, are you on the coast? Right on the coast, literally a uh, hundred feet from the ocean. So, are you expecting, like you know, the ghosts of? Sailors lost to come out well, of the ocean. Know, funny thing, um, because this week I was pondering about what we could talk about on the show. And it occurred to me that, you know, I, I've spent most of today watching the Royal Air Force training at um, their base here on the island. They have a big training base here. Mm-hmm. And where I am, where I am located um, on uh, Holy Island on the Isle of Anglesey, um, is a major coastal ferry, is, is a major ferry uh, port to uh, the Republic of Ireland and to uh, Dublin. And there's a, you know, as I was driving in, I can see at the moment three or four large car ferries. Um, one's just leaving now for Dublin. He'll be there in about three hours. Uh, and there is a, a large train station and it got me to think about ghosts and transportation um, and why we, you know, we're all used to haunted houses and haunted buildings, but we have this almost strange fascination with transportation. You know, the airfield that was at today, RAF Valley, there is a, a ghost story, which we've mentioned briefly in the past, uh, attached to it. But there are so many further along from here is a plaque that's dedicated to two ships that, that uh, crashed into one another. They collided on a foggy, stormy night in 1916 with the loss of everybody aboard. Um, and there's a memorial plaque on the wall uh, and, uh, on the seafront to, to that uh, shipwreck or double shipwreck. Mm-hmm. And then, then, of course, there's, a, there's this large train station and I'm, I'm aware of many ghosts uh, linked to railroads, uh, including, I mean, there's the, the famous presidential train. Is it uh, Lincoln's train um, that's supposedly seen in America? And we do have, I mean, it seems to be a bit of an anathema that we have this 
Yeah, we understand that ghosts would haunt houses or, or castles or places, uh, but we link them so often to uh, transportation, and especially, I, I guess, the ocean. Um, you know, I think. I, yeah, but there, there's reports of uh, ghosts on every mode of transportation, airplanes, oh, and and uh, the ghost of Flight 401 being a classic. Mm. Um, but it, it's it's one of the bizarre things. I mean, you would would you you wouldn't normally associate ghosts with transportation um, in the modus that they that they are said to haunt. Uh, and yet, you know, I was looking last night when we I was driving back along the coast last night, and there's a lot of people just just standing, staring wistfully at the ocean, um, and it seems to. There's something primeval, something primal about the the sort of great expanses of ocean and sky that that hold us and hold our fascination. Well, it's it's clearly evident because we don't know enough about the ocean. I mean, the the, the planet is mostly water, and yet it's it's not been explored to the depths of the ocean, to uh, you know the deepest parts of the the ocean as well. So, it's. Uh, it's that unknown that that uh, drive. It's you know once again it's the old caveman that's you know he's looking into the darkness and and wondering what's out there that's going to uh, eat him. <laughs> yeah, but there's also a weird romance about it, isn't there? You know, we the the amount of ghosts that we have in the UK. I don't know if it's quite the same in America. I certainly know of a few where you have the uh, the sailor lost at sea. Um, you know, he set he set off. The storm brewed up. And leaves his wife staring out of the the window, uh, or standing on the cliff tops watching forever for a loved one to return. Um, and there is, but it just strikes me as odd, uh, or struck me as odd, that ghosts are so often linked to transportation. There are haunted motor cars and auto buses and yep. boats and. There's haunted aeroplanes and trains, but there are also spectral aeroplanes. There are spectral trains. There are spectral automobiles. Which well, you know, which is spectral interesting in itself, in, though, right? You no, know, there are ghost ships, aren't there? Yeah, I mean, yeah, of course, the, the flying Dutchman, the most famous. But I mean, you could understand if you believe the ghosts are the what's left over after we die, then you can understand that if if it's if it's humans, but. Are what what causes a spectral plane? What causes a spectral train or a spectral ship that they were never alive? So what? No. How I mean, could we witness level, it? Why why would um, a railroad train or an airplane come back and haunt the living? Exactly. It makes no sense at all, does it? So we we don't, I don't think we have to we look at the word haunt. I don't believe it's it's the proper word for it. Uh, but you know, there must be another one I can't quite think of. But uh, yeah, what it, it's not really like it's there to haunt you, but yet it's seen. So it's not alive. So, but, but it, it's definitely an apparition. So right. So what is it exactly? If it's it was you know if a ghost was a person that was alive, you could you know it's unfinished business. Yada yada yada. A million million things they can bring up on it. But a train, 
is never alive. A plane was never alive. Why are we why are we witnessing these apparitions? Well, is it something within? Is it actually the object itself that's being that's coming back, or is it the is it something within the witness? Is it wishful thinking? Is it um, the power of well, will? You know, it's easy to say if you're like, okay, if you're going and you say, okay, I, I know the story of this this plane or this train that comes by here and a thing, but if you're just doing about your everyday business and all of a sudden it, it appears, it's not like you're thinking about it. It just it just comes there. And uh, it, perhaps it's this apparition is more of a time slip than a... Uh, you know anything that's ghostly well that we come down to definitions again i mean one of the interesting things about the ghostly airplanes uh, particularly here in the uk is they're often um world war ii bombers now you can understand they went off on a mission over germany and they failed to return that bit makes perfect sense but what doesn't what doesn't add up is that you have the majority of the witnesses are going about their, their daily business, they're going to the shops, they're going to the cinema, they're driving home, they're walking the dog, and then they see this, this phantom aeroplane. Now, they're not, they're not thinking about it. They're not thinking, oh, oh I, I wonder if, you know, in the sky over here 60, 70 years ago, a, a bomber came over. That's the last and least likely thing on their mind, and yet the thing still is reported by them. And that's how... That's how the majority of witness sightings take place. People don't willfully stand there and go, I want to see a ghost of the aeroplane, or I'll stand by these railroad tracks and wait for a, a phantom train to go past. Um, you know, I mean, I, I recall my daughter, um, who we've, we've had on the show, um, and she, when she was seven or eight years old, she came home with a story that she'd seen a steam train rolling along the tracks near to where we lived. She was playing in a friend's back garden at the time, and uh, they looked out. The, the garden backed onto a railway, a railway line, and they said that they watched as uh, a steam locomotive pulling carriages came along the track and then paused for a while, and then they, they ran in to, to tell the mum, uh, hey, look, come and look at this uh, steam train, because steam trains except on historic railways, aren't, you know, seen on British railways. Uh, the mum came out. There was nothing there. Now, the line is a... You can see two miles in either direction up and down the line. Um, and there was no sign of it, no sound of it, nothing. And yet, the three children that were there all said and described the same thing. Now, what was in, most interesting is, um, she, she was a youngster at the time. She was seven or eight years old. Uh, but... Where they where the they were looking and where the the because uh, I went down to have a look, um, they showed me where the train had stopped and where it put uh, halted. Now I went back and looked at some old railway maps, and right where uh, they indicated had been 80, uh, 70, 80 years ago a railway station, a small halt railway station, and in the railway sidings of that railway station in World War Two. A train was um, hit by a German bomb and was destroyed there. Mm -hmm. Now, she didn't know that. I didn't know that. It wasn't something that's uh, memorialized on a plaque anywhere. Uh, I asked her to describe the, the engine. Now, 
you can imagine she wasn't going to give me a detailed technical um, description of what what they saw. But I got the three children. I showed them pictures of locomotives that drove along that line um, over the over the past hundred years, from the nineteen sixties through to the eighteen nineties. Um, and in amongst them was a picture of the locomotive that had been bombed, obviously um, before it had been bombed, so it was uh, undamaged. And they all picked the same locomotive, that locomotive. Hmm. I found that fascinating. Yes, it's intriguing, of course. Did, but... did, they, did they actually see the engine? Did it? Did something occur to bridge the gap between its destruction um, and the present day, did was it? I mean, a, a scientist, a, a psychologist might say, well, they suffered a, a hallucination or it was childish imagination. I don't believe that was the case. Okay, I mean, so if it doesn't was the case, then what was it they actually saw then? Well, I don't. They they have got no doubt that they saw a, a steam train. Um, what? Where I think we could rule out a time slip as an easy explanation would be, had they seen it at night and had they seen it on fire or um, destroyed or so that it would be linked to that moment. But they saw it in the middle of a sunny afternoon and the destruction of the train happened quite late um, at night in the dark. Um, so... There's yeah, but you're associating. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're associating a, a, a tragic event to, to occurring to a, a time slip, yes. but time it's slips right. occur in every every normal yes. day stuff. Yes. Well, as you know, as you know yourself, because you were in in search of and uh, people uh, in that area that you were investigated uh, would be just walking down the street and they would just well, be in a different exactly, period. Exactly. The point I was making is that. Uh, most people associate ghosts with some sort of tragic event, don't they? Right. And, the, and there was definitely a tragic event that took place at that location. But the the vision that they saw, that the children saw, was not of that event. And so it could be said that it's not a time slip from that particular event. But what was it? I mean, was it just that train or... Our train doing going about its business 60, 70 years ago that they happened to. Was there a time window that they saw just the train? But why didn't they see the station? Why didn't they see people? They they said that there was no people. They they said there was no station. They just saw the train. Yeah, that's interesting. So, should a time slip be a complete vision? Because it normally is described thus. So, when if it isn't a time slip, what about what about uh, another dimension? Uh, uh, you know, an alternate reality. I guess that's the one I'm looking at. Well, I tried that. You know, I I, I pondered on that, but your the weakness again is this. See, if we take the Liverpool Bold Street time slips, which, as you know, Anne and I have talked about, and we've looked at, yes, we've yeah, yeah. Examined. Now that's a complete. Uh, vision in that uh, you see the person, the people, the background, the landscape. The you're aware of all of the all everything. The scene is complete. Is absolutely complete. But here we had an isolated component of a scene. Mm-hmm. Simply a train. Nothing from that period apart from the train. None of the surroundings were in any way different. Now that might be 
the children didn't notice any difference. They were, they're not observers. They were playing a game in a back garden and they saw a train. They, they became focused on the train. And we know from the experiment, for, uh, for example, where the, the man in the ape costume runs across a basketball court, that people's observational skills are not always as good as they should be. So could it be that, that in fact, the station and everything else was there, but the children only focused on the train? and only concentrated on the train, or something else. I mean, was it the fact that they saw or thought they saw a train? Was that enough to fix just a train? If we look at the world of that much-loved um, universal panacea of parapsychology, quantum mechanics, where it said that you know, the act of observation fixes the um, object in its place and, and, and t in time and space. So if they're just observing a train and only a train, then that kind of fits, that they're not going to fix the station or people or anything else. So it, it's, a, it's an incomplete apparition in many ways. And no, absolutely. Very, and it's a very incomplete um thing to try and explain we don't have enough information even though we have three witnesses all of whom were perfectly honest in my opinion all of whom were perfectly reliable they had no reason to manufacture a story uh, it was clear that they'd all seen the same thing now they probably did talk amongst themselves about what they'd seen um, but nevertheless there was a consistency you know when i showed them the photographs they all picked the same train uh, which I found to be quite quite compelling and fascinating because mm -hmm. there were trains that were very similar to this particular train um, with only really quite small differences, and yet they all picked the same train. And it wasn't, you know, the photographs weren't dramatically different from each other, so it wasn't that they were drawn to a particular photograph because, you know, the train looked different or it was in colour and the others were black and white or anything like that. Mm -hmm. They were all very similar images that I chose. Uh, first of all, I found the picture of the, the actual train I was interested in, and then I found some pictures that I thought were the closest match to it in terms of perspective, view, colour, angle, etc., etc., etc. Like trying to do like almost like a photo fit. And yet they still selected the same train. And when I spoke to her even quite recently about the um, experience, she still uh, retains a lot of the memory of it, clearly down the years. I mean, she's 23 now. Um, the memory isn't as clear as it was. So it, how, how old were they, were they when they saw the, the train? She would have been seven or, seven or eight. Okay. Um, and the story isn't something that we've spoken about every week. So, so if you fix the story by repetition, um, but we ha we did happen to mention it some months ago, um, and the story wasn't exactly the same anymore, uh, and I wouldn't have expected it to be. And some parts of it had she couldn't recall at all what she'd said. Yeah, that, that's you know that's one of the big problems with anything is the farther away from the incidents, the less yeah. you recall. Yeah. 
I can't remember what I had. Oh, you, you recall it differently, which is even interesting. I, I know that when G- Maureen and I wrote the book, we, we thought certain things happened, but when we went back at the video and, and listened to the actual audio, uh, we realized, oh, it was different than what we yeah. were thought. Thing, I mean, a lot of uh, skeptics, like Nickel, etc., put great store in the fact that um, when somebody tells an account of an experience... And then they retell it some some time later that, oh, no, last time you said the jumper was blue and this time you said it was turquoise. But in all honesty, uh, human memory is is imperfect. Oh, not even close. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I can't remember. I couldn't recall what I had for breakfast four days ago. Mm -hmm. I can't recall because those are details that don't matter. And we wouldn't, you know, it would be, I would think it more unusual. Um, and I know Dylan, who, um, whom we both know, the ex-policeman, also we've discussed this and he agrees that if somebody starts telling you exactly the same story every single time, then you should have a red flag up. Right, because it's a been rehearsed. And because it's a story. We all right. remember a story. Uh, but when you recall a memory or... One of, one of my weaknesses is, is people's names. I know you suffer from that in a, in a, in a different way too, but I'm, I'm talking about somebody, uh, I was talking to somebody today and telling them about something and somebody, and the name of the person I was trying to think of, completely poof, gone. Try as I might, I couldn't remember the person's name. Mm-hmm. And yet 30, 40 seconds later, when I stopped trying, you know, when we were talking about something else, in pop, the oh yeah, his name was John Miles. I was, you, the mind doesn't work in a predictable way that psychologists tell us it does. You know, people don't make up stories or or share their experiences in an absolutely perfect way. And, and you got to remember too. I mean, psychologists. We always think, oh, they're like the the gods of science, but they're not. Actually, that psychology is not an exact science. It's, there are many it, scientists who consider it to be not a science. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> no, seriously, uh, psychology is very much. I mean, originally, all of the qualifications that people gained in psychology were arts qualifications. They right. would gain a Bachelor of Arts or Humanities. Uh, it was right. only- I, I know myself because uh, when I had a degree in, in uh, a BA and I took psychology, it was an arts degree. No, it, it was nowadays it's a science. It's considered to be a science. That well, anyways, we are coming up to the break, so we're going to have yeah, to take a well, break. That was quick. And uh, you're listening to uh, Ghost Chronicles International with uh, Steve Parson, who is in, and I'll never say the place. Where are you, Steve? Hollyhead, Anglesey. There you go. And Ron Kolick at the Haunted Vizy Estate. And we'll be right back after the following messages here on Tojanet and Pararex Radio. Welcome to Tokinet, radio with a cutting edge. Do you have a paranormal event, book, or something else you want people to know about? Then why not advertise it on Ghost Chronicles Radio? With over 150,000 downloads a month, get your message out to an audience that's interested in the subject. 
We have a plan at a cost that fits your needs. For more information, contact Ron Kolick at anyghostproject at comcast.net or call 978-455-6678. They're creepy and they're kooky, mysterious and spooky. They all talk ugly kooky, the Parax family. The shows are paranormal, not stuffy but informal. The topics are abnormal, the Parax family. They're strange. Unrestrained. So grab your favorite brew. It's time to rendezvous as we give awards to the Parrax family. Welcome back to part two of Ghost Chronicles International with New England's own Van Helsing on the wrong side of the Atlantic and as the sun sets on the west side of the Atlantic, uh, the gold standard, who is looking out over a setting sun on the uh, place called Holy Island on the north coast of Wales. Great Britain, um, part of the island of Anglesey, which is the uh, legendary and mythical mystical home of the Druids, the, the builders of Stonehenge and the creator of myths and magic. King Arthur? Uh, no, he didn't have anything to do with the Druids, I don't think. But <laughs> what, what's interesting is historically, Anglesey did. Uh, Tacitus writes about uh, when the Romans conquered Britain, there was uh, an enclave of uh, the Celtic Britons, ancient Britons, holy holy men, um, their sort of priestly class, whom he called the Druids, and they all lived on this uh, holy island called Anglesey, or Mona by its Welsh name, its ancient name, uh, off the west coast of Britain, and uh, they were such troublemakers because obviously these were the priests uh, the ruling elite of the Celtic Britons that uh, the Romans under a general called Paulinus uh, assembled 30,000 Roman troops and they uh, marched up from Colchester the capital of Britain, uh, Roman Britain and swam their, their horses and their armor, uh, their army across the the, uh, the Menai Straits, which is a mile-wide, shallow, well, it's shallow at low tide, um, dividing uh, waterway between the island and the mainland, and utterly defeated the Druids, burnt their temples, smashed their idols, killed, killed men, women, children, um, and utterly, utterly wiped out the Druid priestly class. But there are many, many remnants um, of that era on the island. There are burial chambers and there are oak groves and there are uh, the remains of several very well-preserved villages from that period. You have the stone foundations and the remains of several of these druidic villages. 
Uh, and even now, even today on Anglesey, new sites are being discovered and there are several archaeological digs in progress. Oh, that's cool. That are exploring these ancient original uh, settlers uh, of the island. And very close to where I am, I'm at the port of Hollyhead, um, mainly because it's the best place to get a mobile signal. Uh, but just, just beyond me, about a half a mile uh, to one side of me, is Hollyhead Mountain. Now, Hollyhead Mountain is literally looming. You probably hear some of the ferry traffic behind me. But Hollyhead Mountain is looming over the town. It, it rises about 1,500 feet. Uh, it's a big granite limestone lump that sort of hangs over the town. And on top of it are several of these Iron Age uh, Celtic villages and settlements, these ancient hut circles. And the huts themselves are circular. They're like a sort of stone teepee or a stone wigwam. Um, made, they were made of stone because the island is very barren and there was quite a short uh, a sparsity of trees on the island. Um, and it's as the sun sets, it becomes very, very easy to let your mind wander uh, amongst these ruins. And you know, as the as as the the air falls quiet and the light dims. It is a very easy place where your mind can drift back. And the action of drifting back is purely one of imagination because we can't hope to know what these people were like. We know where they lived and we know what they ate and we know how they dressed. And the Romans left us some records about how they fought. But we don't know anything about them. And yet we there are so many people who call themselves pagans or druids and and they speak with great certainty about these you know about these ancient people from whom they have a connection right they they probably read it on the internet so they know it's fact exactly and that's Mm. that's one of the bizarre things you know they they talk with such surety about oh this is ancient knowledge handed down from the atlanteans and the druidians and the lemurians and yeah, I mean, two of those civilizations have never been proven to exist, Lemuria and Atlantis. Uh, the Druids absolutely definitely existed. There is archaeological and historical records of, of that group of people. But there is nothing about that group of people. They, you know, they exist in name only, and we know absolutely nothing about them. And yet there, are, there is this, this hippie class um, who are drawn towards the new age and are very drawn to the paranormal. And that's why they, they, they pop up on my radar so often. You see them at the paracons and the, the events uh, surrounded, dripping in shiny stones and feathers and smelling of all manner of incense and talking as if they are a direct remnant, uh, a historical link to this group of people. For, for about whom we know about as much as we know about the bottom of the ocean. Mm-hmm. And you realise then what utter flim-flam that these people are talking. Yeah, I mean, when you think about it, Hitler did more research about the Atlanteans and uh, the Druids, uh, not the Druids, the uh, Lemurians than probably anyone else. I mean, he spent a lot of time trying to prove that the Aryan race came from Atlantis. Uh, well, 
that's his baby, and um, I, I know that he he, he had a well funded archae or Himmler had a well funded archaeology um, section within his organisation, um, but. You know, I, I was making that link to standing on top of Holy Mountain, uh, Holyhead Mountain, or Holy Mountain. It has two names in Welsh and in English. Mm -hmm. uh, and where your mind wanders. Now, the difference perhaps being is there is an element of, of the romantic within all of us. You know, we see a, 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 a scene, a landscape, um, and we, our mind starts to create things with it. And it makes us feel... You know, there there are emotional responses to that, which we, we respond to. Uh, now, you and I know, and many other people know, that that is just the ramblings of uh, a mind. Right. But there, is a group, but there is a group of people for whom it becomes a reality. But... It in, in reality, we, we, we look for things like that to grab hold of and, and give power to. For instance, you know, relics and, and everything, we, we find those and, and we want, give, we give power to them. I mean, even uh, Stalin, uh, for instance, Stalin wanted to ga gather up all the great rulers of uh, Russia and the, the Mongols and so forth. And uh, I, I saw an interesting thing on, uh, he, dug, he went out to... Uh, Urkestan or someplace, one of the stands, and and dug up one of the cruelest uh, Mongolian rulers. But his his grave was cursed, and the, the holy people that were up there told him, "Don't dig that up, don't dig that up." But they did. They dug up the, the body of the guy from his tomb and brought it to Moscow. And when they did, uh, the Germans invaded uh, uh, Moscow, and uh, so uh, things weren't really good. So it it, it it gave it so much power that they took the body and brought it back and reinterned it. And, of course, shortly after they did, the, uh, the Germans were driven out of Stalingrad. So yeah, it's, it's how we give this power to these scenes, to ideas, to relics, to objects. Well, I mean, you know uh, that I um, have always been interested in collecting things like coins. Now, it, periodically, you know, it, it flares up and then it sort of quietens down again. Uh, but for me, coins are one of those things that, you know, all coins are nice as a piece of artwork, but especially interesting for me are those coins that have got a little wear on them and have, have obviously been used. Not, I mean, modern coins should be pristine. Um, you know, they are, they are collected for works of art but when you get hold of a coin that's 200 300 years old or older, or older um mm -hmm. you know i've got some in my you know i've got some that are approaching a thousand years old like the phoenician phoenician coin or something like that uh, i've got some roman coins as well but i was thinking about uh, mostly medieval coins but oh, okay you look at them and the, they're made of sterling silver but they're worn the, the features have been rubbed down by by generations of hands what transactions did that coin take part in you know what did it buy it was only a, it was only a silver penny or, or it is only a silver penny but right that brings what, up actually one of my for? most favorite subjects of course uh, and one of the ones I enjoy studying a lot is uh, 
Oh, great. I just lost the damn thing, uh, which is reading the energy in objects. Uh, uh-huh. Psychometry. Thank you so much. I, how, how the hell did I forget that? Anyway, yeah, just as soon as I was going to say it, it just disappeared. But anyways, yes, yeah, psychometry. And, and it's not so much, uh, you know, like, oh, I know know the history of it, therefore I can tell you if you're right or wrong. It's it's more to me is the intriguing is what people get from the coins themselves. What What is the story that they can tell from the coin and not just the most obvious one that you know about. So uh, I find it extremely intriguing to, about energy and, and, and I don't think that uh, it's, let me see, it's that all impossible to believe that psychometry could be a real subject, whereas um, eventually it may be proven, because we we know we can record certain uh, sounds on on grooved records, for instance, and on magnetic tapes and 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 so forth. So you know, energy and whatever that energy may be may be recorded on a particular object. Well, it would be it would be nice to um, believe that was the case. I mean, there is that old saying, isn't there? And I've said it myself many, many times. Uh, walking around old castles and places where battles took place or historical uh, people walked and stayed, <laughs> if only the walls could talk, if only the right. walls could speak. You know, it's 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 a very common saying, and I I think you've got to be careful because. You know, when I'm when I'm handling a coin, or when I'm walking um, in a, a place where great and famous people or events have taken place, I find myself I find my mind wandering and imagining and wondering. But I know that I'm imagining, wandering, and wondering. I don't know if some people. Uh, if you, if you, if well, a- see, there's lies the problem, Steve, because and you say imagining or wondering, but there is certain mental states that allows us to do possibly. I mean, I think the governments have come up with some interesting ideas about, for instance, remote viewing and, and things. So if our mind is in a certain state, then there may be certain things that we're able to do. Yeah, uh, absolutely, it, possibly. I was going to say that when you talk about mental states and, and minds, uh, I was going to actually illustrate with my two sons. Okay, right, uh, go ahead. Because both of them have had a very nearly identical upbringing. Um, you know, we like to make sure that we we're fair, equal and fair to the two boys. Um, you know, if one gets the other gets, if one has something or goes somewhere, the other is, it tends to be there. So their, their life experiences have been remarkably similar. And yet you have two little boys, one of whom will, uh, when given a scenario, uh, his mind will create many many stories and visions from it he's fascinated by stories and storytelling and he can tell wonderful stories and he has a very very lucid imagination the other little boy uh with the same set of um sort of life experiences and upbringing couldn't be couldn't be more different he's very materialistic he he likes to see how things are put together and he likes to see how the world works and he's a great explorer of you know, he, he likes to understand the nature of things, whereas his brother likes to ponder about or, or imagine scenarios and situations. 
that involve these these places or objects or toys. And I think that the mind, you know, there is clearly an argument of uh, against nature versus nurture because something has hardwired one little boy's brain to be uh, functioning one way and fun- and the other little boy's brain to function in a different way. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's something innate within us that some of us, some people are absolutely prone to or more likely to uh, be empathetic to their surroundings, be empathetic to objects that they're handling and holding and touching, whereas others will just view it as an ounce of copper or a brick wall or right. a, a steel, a steel, you know, a steel uh, machine. And, um, and I think, you know, uh, there is a large element of the person in people's experiences. You know, when, when you give, um, you know, if you give one little boy a Roman coin, he will examine it, he'll look at it and he'll weigh it in his hand and he'll look at the, uh, the Roman emperor's head on it and he'll sort of test it by banging it on something to see what the material sounds like and how shiny it is and how hard it is. The other little boy will start telling stories about how it was used to buy slaves and then how somebody bought some bread with it and the bread was stolen and then the, the building burnt down. And, you know, you, you think, well, are you just creating? Where is that story just coming from? Well, you know, is it just uh, popping in there? I mean, or know, is he actually connecting to the object? Some people might say that's reincarnation too. That you know he uh, lived through that time, uh, you know. But it, or is he just reading the object? I mean, exactly. That, is it? It's a psychometrist, right? Yeah. Did that coin buy a slave? Did it buy a loaf of bread that was put in a building that then burnt down? We will never know. Um, you know, that's one of the great fascinations of psi, uh, of research into the human mind. We don't know what it's capable of doing. You know, we, 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 we're very dismissive of the human ability. People look at the, the pyramids of Giza and these megalithic tombs that are on the west coast of Britain and here on Anglesey. And they say, we couldn't build them. Man couldn't build them. We must have had alien help. Mm-hmm. But did we, or are we just reaching back deeper, deeper within ourselves to an ancient civilization that we've forgotten about or ceased to exist, but some trace remains within us? You know, the, 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 the fabled Atlantis or Lemuria or whatever you want to call it. Because these are, these are not just something of the creation of the 1960s hippie movement. Right, uh, I know. Plato but, wrote, wrote, wrote accounts of Atlantis and the people there and the, and the I mean, the fiction of the giant crystal and all uh, and the, the power source and these ancient knowledge, ancient knowledge. Um, I mean, that's, that's very clearly the 1960s. Mm-hmm. But there is a yeah. root to it all, isn't there? As the archaeologists say, there's, there's, there's no smoke without fire. Right. It's it's intriguing, but I think sometimes we, I, I love I love the gulls. It's a little ambiance here. It's perfect. They're uh, dogs, actually, bizarrely. It's too. Uh, the too uh, walking along. You know, it's what intrigues me is is that a lot of times we just kind of accept things or looking for 
solutions uh, to certain things that we see and we come up with something and, and uh, or we dismiss something that couldn't happen. I mean, I, I, after, I went to a Paracon this week and I, and I went afterwards, I was back at the hotel and I had the Discovery Channel and they had this thing on evidence, uh, you know, cra- it was crazy stuff. They show you some crazy film and then they have a bunch of experts tell you, you know, what it could be and all that stuff. And But uh, there was one very compelling uh, video of a, a schoolgirl in Mexico, and she's walking from the street, and all of a sudden she just gets taken, lifted up in the air, thrown up in the air, and, and smashed down. And you look at the video, and you know the the, the people are saying, "Okay, wow, you, you know maybe it was a possession because you know uh, demons, and you know uh, Mexico is a pretty." predominant Catholic country and so they say well maybe it's possession and then then they had a, another expert look at it and said okay maybe she got hit by a high velocity round because uh, you know there's a lot of drug battles and going on in, in there too but there was no blood and then eventually it went to one guy who uh, was able to he just saw a little flash in the film and he had this special software that was able to slow it down just enough that it you could see that there was a truck going down the street, and it caught a low wire. And the wire came down, wrapped around the girl's neck, and when the truck went by, flipped her in the air. It's, it, it happened uh-huh. so fast that you could not see it with the human eye. And uh-huh. honest to God, it, I would have never seen that. Uh, you know, even if you have like slow motion and you slowed it down, you still wouldn't see it because it was beyond the, the frames of a, a shot. It was unbelievable. But yet someone had enough... Uh, you know, sort of followed to to continue to study it and and look for explanations, and there was one. And I think that's the most important lesson of all, because how often do we hear um, of groups of people that will go to a haunted a haunted house and they'll say we heard a sound and um, we called out and the sound happened again. Uh, we couldn't think of any we couldn't think of any explanation for it. It must be paranormal. Mm-hmm. They don't, you know, often the lack of an explanation more points to the lack of seeking an explanation, accepting that, you know, the paranormal is what they want the explanation to be. Right. And and so they, they don't look any further because they've got what they what they came for. Um, and clearly, as that piece of video shows that often, even if you do some rudimentary looking an examination it wouldn't show up at first it, it didn't show up as you said on an ordinary video mm-hmm. uh, but then with deeper analysis with more specialist skills the, the answer becomes apparent yeah i mean i, think, I mean that, that's absolutely the case with many haunted locations i've investigated yeah i, I agree the, i mean if the, you saw it steve honest to god steve if you saw it i don't think you would have been able to explain it either just by no, looking no, at it i mean it was, that's the other thing as well is recognizing what you can and can't do. Um, you know, many of these these ghost investigators sell themselves as universal experts. Now, I I have some extended knowledge in some areas, right? Uh, um, but not in every area. But I know enough to go and ask for help. But these people don't, never ask for help. They no. have their in-house analyst, who is the 
first and last and only point of contact when they, you know, well, he's got a, you know, he's been doing photography for 20 years and he looked at it and he, he ran it through Photoshop and he's decided it's absolutely paranormal. Right. But and, you know, it, it, it irks me, Steve, is, is that people will take evidence and, and bend it to the way they want it. For instance, uh, you know, the flashlight. Uh, people uh, like to use the flashlight to communicate. And, and I've seen them do it. They'll sit there and they'll say, if there are any spirits that do it here today, can you turn that light off? I know you can do it. And the conversation will go on for about a minute or so, and then light will go off. And then it's like, okay, mm-hmm. why didn't it go off when you just asked it at the beginning? Uh-huh. Why did it take a minute uh-huh. for the light to go off? Well, uh, and then, we, then they show that's absolutely proof that they received an answer. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, we've done, we, I've shown that flashlight experiment at um, Fort Constitution mm-hmm. uh, with the red and the blue flashlights. Um, and it, w- what's interesting now is that they've changed the explanation slightly because it became it became obvious and apparent because people like me and others started to demonstrate why it was working, that you had to re- release the tail cap slightly so that the spring had the you know enough movement so when it was heated and cooled mm. etc. And now ghost hunters say that in order for the spirit, I, and I've witnessed this with my own eyes and ears, in order for the spirit to be able to activate the flashlight, you have to release the tail cap slightly so that the spirit can manoeuvre the tail cap to turn the, the bulb on and off. So what, what happened so to the old spirit? What happened to the old spiritual uh, spirit light where they turn the switch off? Well, uh, you see, what, what <laughs> exactly. But what you've got here, and it's... Why do we have to create things to make it work? Well, it's like with the Ouija board. When, when, when Faraday in the middle of the 19th century demonstrated that it was the sitters pushing the planchette mm-hmm. by, a, by a very well-constructed experiment that demonstrated unequivocally that it was the sitter pushing the planchette and tipping the table, then the spiritualists changed their explanation previously... They had got nothing to do with it, and spirit was moving the planchette or tipping the table. Yeah, then, right. it be, then it became, uh, they are... There were spirits working through me. Exactly. So yep. what, what you've got there, and uh, now with the mag light, with the flashlight experiment, is when faced with a perfectly plausible, uh, repeatable um, explanation, the believers will then distort it and incorporate it into their belief structure by saying, well, the spirits uh, have to, you know, operate through us in the case of the Ouija board. We have to allow, we have to release the tail cap on the mag light so that the spirits have got enough room to maneuver uh, mm-hmm. the springs and the switches. So they're actually taking the explanation and distorting the reality of the explanation to suit themselves. And it's a demonstration of how far belief will go. How far will they cling to the sinking ship of their beliefs? When, you know, when, when you face them with the reality of an explanation, you know, they then climb aboard the raft um, and continue bailing. 
Right. Well, anyways, there's the uh, bell, which yeah. means doorbell, which means pizza from the dead's here. We got to wrap it up. Uh, got a big night myself tonight. I've got uh, to work on a, a missing person uh, case, right. which is right after the show I have to do. And then uh, tonight we have a, an extra red light seance uh, that we are doing this summer. So uh, got that to do. We came back to the Paragon. The Paragon was interesting. Uh, Steve, because the the booth next to me was uh, the people, the new owners of the Conjuring House. Uh, oh, yes, yes. I've seen the headlines. Mm. Um, apparently, it's it's haunted. <laughs> well, you know, Andrea Perron, who lived there for many years and wrote three books on the subject, mm-hmm. uh, she was there as well. Uh, but the new owners uh, have moved in, and they don't report any uh anything evil yet so really so far, so I've good. Seen a he- no i've seen a headline this very week uh new bu- new purchasers of the conjuring house reported as being haunted now, yeah haunted but not demonic oh right okay i'm with you sorry there's a difference there's yeah. a difference <laughs> i mean um, if they'd have gone for the demonic they could have sold you to the profit to zach <laughs> well around here now everything's demonic <laughs> yeah, well, that's true. Well, um, yeah, I saw, yeah, I saw uh, some of the photographs from the Paracon. Yeah. Um, not quite as patch on Spirit Quest, though. Hey. No. Spirit, Spirit Quest. Quest in the fall is the best. Check one. it out. Anyghostproject.com. Yeah, yeah we got to run, running out of time here, so we've got to wrap it up. Anything you want to add, Steve? No, I'm going to enjoy the rest of the week's holiday, and while the sun shines, make holiday fun. All right, and uh, once again, uh, Steve will be over here this fall doing a bunch of events. Watch the website, anyghostproject.com, the letter N, the letter E, ghostproject.com. This program was brought to you by Circles of Wisdom in Methuen, Mass. So check there out there, brand new store. Check out their new store. (laughs) Till then, good night and God bless. Good night, God bless. to ghosties, long-leggedy beasties, and things that go bump in the night. Deliver us, good Lord.